Hello, and welcome to This Week in the Canadian Revolution, a podcast by Fightback, the Marxist voice of labor and youth. We live in a revolutionary epoch. The crisis of the capitalist system is creating political polarization and instability in every single country, as millions of people look for a way out. The product of this is unprecedented social upheaval and yes, revolution. Now we firmly believe that the crisis of capitalism is creating the conditions for socialist revolution. Yes, even in Canada. The point of this podcast is to provide a Marxist analysis of what Trotsky described as the molecular process of socialist revolution. This week in the Canadian Revolution, we are going to talk about how to end the war in Ukraine. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, what the labor movement, what the leaders of the labor movement have been putting forward. Uh, we're going to talk about pacifism. We're going to talk about the developing anti-war movement. Uh, but first, yes, we're going to talk about uh, what the major labor unions uh, in Canada have been saying. Uh, maybe to start off, I, ha I have Alex Grant again with me here. Uh, again, uh, to start off, we're going to maybe start with the Canadian Labour Congress. That's kind of the big umbrella labour organization uh, that sets the tone quite often for the rest of the labour movement. So, yeah, what are, I don't know, Alex, you want to explain, what, what is the CLC saying about the war in Ukraine? Thanks, Joel. Great to be on the show again. And, yeah, if you look at what the Canadian Labour Congress had to say, well, we, we, we previously critiqued what the New Democratic Party had to say, and we're hoping that, well, maybe, maybe the Labour movement will take a different approach and take an anti-war approach. But sadly, that is not the case. The statements from the CLC, from QP, from Unifor, to major unions, and unfortunately, it does parrot the NATO talking points, the Canadian government talking points. So here's the opening. The world is watching with horror as Russia launches an unjustified attack on Ukraine and its people. Canada's unions condemn this unprovoked act of aggression and stand in solidarity with the people of Ukraine who now face violence, hardship and an uncertain future. Now, we can agree that we oppose the Russian attack on Ukraine. But if you look in these statements, you will never find a mention of the word NATO. It's like poor little Ukraine, like poor little Belgium from the First World War, was just sitting there doing nothing and Russia attacked, unprovoked, without an understanding of Western imperialism advanced, you know, to Hungary, to Poland, Czech Republic, to the Baltic states, to uh, Yugoslavia, again and again and again, right up to Russians, Russia's borders, and ignores the role of the home imperialism. It's quite scandalous that the labor movement is supporting the home imperialism. It, it, it's, it's actually just like World War I and the capitulation of social democracy. Yeah, exactly. So uh, some of some things uh, we could agree with, like we're against the Russian invasion. Uh, that is quite clear. But if you only cover one side, <laughs> then you end up supporting the other side, basically, de facto. Uh, and that is wrong. And being in a nation that is a part of NATO, which let's be clear, like, what is NATO? I think some people don't know what NATO is, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. It's an, it's an intergovernmental military alliance. That is what it is. Don't talk about unprovoked, right? When NATO has been bringing European, Eastern European countries into a military alliance, which means military bases, arms, stockpile arms, tanks, things, uh, up to the border of Russia. Uh, this is a direct threat. Uh, and that's the way that Russia is taking it. Uh, so, yeah, uh, this is uh, quite unfortunate that the labor, but all, not all that surprising, to be honest, that the leaders of, of uh, some of the major unions in Canada are uh, basically a lot parroting the government here. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Do you have anything else to say on this? 
Yeah, well, this parrots exactly what happened in the First World War. So the reality is that all, all the uh, the socialist parties, so parties of the Second International, prior to the First World War, said that they would oppose imperialist war. They would organise general strikes against imperialist war. But when the war came, what did they do? They all supported the home imperialism. The, the Germans supported German imperialism. The Brits and the French supported uh, British and French imperialism. And supporting the home imperialism and attacking the foreign imperialism was their excuse for extreme capitulation. And this is what the Canadian labor movement is doing. And actually why we're calling for an anti-war movement. Now that could be slightly confusing because NATO, the Western powers have said, oh, we, we, we are an anti-war movement. We're against war because they're against the Russian invasion. Well, they're not an anti-war movement. They're a pro-war movement. They're a pro-NATO war movement. Just because NATO wasn't the ones that to, to first start shooting weapons is totally immaterial. The, the reality is they have been advancing. And this movement for uh, in support of Western governments, well, what is it saying? It's saying no-fly zones. It's saying sanctions, which are an act of war. It's saying send arms, send mercenaries, send everything. So it's not an anti-war movement. Theirs is a pro-war movement. The CLC, QP, Unifor, the rest of them are out in favour of war, war waged by Canadian imperialism and American, German and British imperialism. That's what they're in favour of. They're not an anti-war movement. We're a genuine anti-imperialist, anti-war movement. And that's what we've got to build. And sadly... The, the organizations of the working class are sending workers to fight and die. Yeah, so they're, <clears throat> I can think you correctly explained there that they, they're really cynically using the plight of the Ukrainian people to support war, uh, sending arms. Uh, there's calls for no-fly zones, which let's be clear what that means. That means shooting down Russian planes. <laughs> As Russian planes shooting down Western planes. Yeah, that is a massive escalation. That is like people are worried about World War Three. Well, you should be worried about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, and sanctions are a war measure <clears throat> and actually quite a cynical one. I mean, they punish working class people above all else. Uh, and the whole aim is to try to, oh, if we only if we punish Russian people enough for what Putin is doing, which they didn't have much to do with, <laughs> then they will somehow overthrow him. And guess what? That has never actually really worked. If anything, it usually strengthens right-wing nationalism within the country, which that is what Putin represents. So that doesn't work. It's more of a performative thing to get the different sides, the different workers, the different sides supporting their own bourgeois in this imperialist slaughter. So yeah, it's and it's really, I think, from the standpoint of NATO also, like NATO will fight to the last drop of Ukrainian people's blood in this yep. war. And that's just horrible, you know? So they'll send arms and military equipment and everything uh, to bog Russia down, to draw this conflict out. If, if, if we can't have it, nobody will uh, mentality. I really think that is, that is what happened. Yeah, so these, 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 the initial demos, some of them were significant actually. Uh, had Canadian ministers at them, government ministers, liberal politicians, not anti-war demos, <laughs> not anti-war, in favor of NATO, in favor of escalating the war. Um, so Actually, yeah. Christopher Freeland stood there with a Nazi banner. Yes. At those demos, at those so-called anti-war demos, which the CLC is supporting and, and various uh, trade unions are supporting. So it's, it's quite sickening. Yeah, exactly. So that's not the anti-war movement that we fight for or, or we support. Um, but I guess, uh, so we talked about what the CLC and a lot of the major unions, I guess, QP, Unifor, they all had similar statements, no mention of NATO, no criticism of NATO uh, encroachment into Eastern Europe, uh, no no mention of any of what the pretext to what 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 has led to this conflict calling it unprovoked etc uh but you know we have to be honest it's not all bad in the labor movement we have well as far as we can tell we found one statement that was not all bad <laughs> uh that's the durham what is it the durham regional labor council uh and yeah so i don't know alex you want to give us some comments yes. about this 
Yes, finally, the, finally, there's a sort of crack in the pro-imperialist uh, unanimity that the Durham Labour Council, and for those who don't know, Durham is the area with Oshawa, uh, which is the centre of General Motors in Canada. So long tradition in uh, auto working. And, and, and they put out a, a statement which, which contained a number of very good things. So opposition to any further Canadian military action, arms sales or the provision of lethal aid, uh, demand that Russian troops withdraw from territory of Ukraine and that Canadian, US and NATO troops in or near Ukraine's borders do likewise. Uh, support for refugees, uh, an end for fundraising for the Ukrainian army in Canada, uh, uh, opposition to NATO, that Canada should withdraw from NATO, and a support for the self-determination of the people of uh, the Donbass and, and for uh, Ukraine without NATO or Russian interference. So, so some very good points in that resolution. So it's a fantastic to break through uh, the, uh, the, the pro-imperialist unanimity. Uh, there were a few things that we wouldn't agree with, a few pacifist statements, and, I, and later on we'll talk about pacifism and why that's a wrong approach. Uh, actually, I also, also may add, I think the Fiber Grades Union in Britain also put out a, a fairly decent statement on this. So it is important that the labor movement take a genuine anti-war movement, anti-war position, rather than a position that relies upon the military defeat of Russia, right? That's a, not an anti-war position for you, if you live in a NATO country. Yeah, exactly. So you got this Durham Labor Council statement that is a step in the right direction. A lot of it we would agree with. Uh, but yeah, I guess that kind of transitions a little bit into this the discussion on pacifism, because there are some points in that statement which are basically of a pa pacifist nature. And I think a lot of people, um, for lack of an alternative, kind of naively fall into a pacifist approach. They, they, they see that the war is bad. They oppose Russian invasion, as they should, as we do. Uh, but then they're smart enough. Maybe they've been paying attention. <laughs> they see what NATO is doing and they're disgusted. with. They, they, they know about the war in Iraq, Afghanistan, the bombing of Libya, all this. They're totally opposed to that. And they see the hypocrisy. So they, uh, And then they fall into this sort of pacifist approach. So yeah, we should discuss that because it's important that we have the right ideas uh, to, to, to pierce through the, the uh, kind of almost hegemony, <laughs> the, the dominance in Canadian society of this kind of almost pro-NATO approach that the government is using. Uh, but before we get into that, I'd just like to take a short commercial break. Uh, we are Fight Back. Uh, we are a Marxist organization in Canada. We're part of the international Marxist tendency. Uh, we are fighting against imperialist war. We are fighting for a genuine internationalist class approach to fighting imperialist war. We are fighting for socialist revolution in our lifetimes. Uh, and in order to do that, one of the ways in which we do this, we produce a, uh, well, we have our websites. We have marxist.ca and we have marxist.qc.ca in French. I encourage you to visit those websites and check them daily for regular analysis of Canadian politics and international politics. Uh, but we also have our own uh, newspaper. We have our own magazine, uh, Fight Back, which comes out every two weeks, uh, which is a new development. Uh, you can get the paper delivered to your door every two weeks, a hard-hitting Marxist analysis, a working-class perspective, a socialist solution to all of the horrors of capitalism in decline, all of the horrors of imperialism, war, racism, environmental destruction, um, and really that's it. So we really encourage you to get a subscription to Fight Back magazine. We are increasing our subscribers base, and we need your help. Uh, it's only $30.00. Uh, and you can become, and we also encourage you, you know, to become a sustaining subscriber, a solidarity subscriber. You give us a, a small amount every month to help us do the important work that we're doing. So yeah, really that's, uh, that's uh, what I encourage you to do. Get a subscription to Fight Back Magazine. Check our website out. Um, so uh, moving into the point on pacifism. Well, yeah, we have seen these anti this 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 genuine anti-war movement develop. These anti-war demos, which are are not uh, as I as I mentioned, they're not uh, like the other ones that were this sort of yeah rely on the military defeat of Russia. It's uh, pro-war demos. So you had demos in many cities. 
uh, against NATO. They've had the demand against NATO, which is very important. Uh, they've generally been small. They've, and and as, as we mentioned, they've been somewhat ideologically confused. Now we need to obviously congratulate everyone involved. Uh, the war hysteria is quite strong and standing up against it is very difficult. So people that have stand up against it, fight back has been at many of these demos. We'd have speaker at, at a couple of these demos uh, uh, against imperialism, against NATO, against the Russian invasion. And it's very, very, but you know, we also believe it's very important that if we want to break through this propaganda, this war hysteria, we must break through the, uh, we must have the right ideas to do that. Um, so yeah, I don't know, uh, Alex, do you want to maybe comment on what the general politics of, of the this sort of developing anti-war movement, genuine anti-war movement is? Yeah, absolutely. And, and first of all, I want to give praise to the people who are organizing these anti-war demos. It's not difficult, it's also not easy, that it's very difficult that to face up against the propaganda, something like Polls have put like 90% of Canadians support NATO on this. So it's really, really going against the stream. And, and there are some good demands, demands that we support. Canada out of NATO, NATO out of Eastern Europe. Those, these have been present. These demands have been present at a lot of these demos. So we totally agree. Those are anti-imperialist slogans. They're good. But then there are other slogans which are pacifist and utopian and don't help and actually lead you into extreme confusion. And, and there's like three main pacifist pillars. And the first pillar is ceasefire, negotiate, de-escalate, disarm, right? That's like the... Uh, the first pillar is, is the sort of ceasefire negotiate pillar. The second pillar is Canada must be a voice for peace. And the third pillar is you know, that rely upon the UN and international law to find a resolution. Right. And I think, yeah, Joel and I will go into these three pillars and explain exactly why they're wrong. Because they can seem quite reasonable. Why wouldn't we be in favour of a ceasefire? That that fa that uh, ends hostilities right here and now. Uh, actually, yeah, Joel, maybe I'll pass it back to you. Yeah, well, why why wouldn't we be in favour of a ceasefire? Uh, what what's wrong with that? Uh, yeah, well, uh, demands for a ceasefire and negotiations can seem uh, logical. Uh, I think. If you're being a bit naive, <laughs> uh, because who, yeah, who wouldn't, as you said, who wouldn't want a cessation of uh, the killing, basically? And who, you know, can't we all be nice and negotiate with each other? Just go back to uh, negotiations. But really, if we look at the situation and if we understand what is happening, uh, a demand for a ceasefire in negotiations is it recognizes the imperialist game. That the imperialists, Russian imperialism, and what we're talking about mainly here is Russian imperialism, which is a rising imperialist power in the world. And that's why it's the bear is flexing its muscles <laughs> here. And U.S. imperialism and NATO and their NATO allies are the old, more, I guess, de somewhat declining relatively imperialist power uh, are, uh, uh, you know, there's a balance of power in the imperialist world. And as that balance shifts with Russia rising, there's inevitably a, a, a redivision, a division and redivision of the spheres of influence of the markets, et cetera, of the resources, et cetera, et cetera. Lenin talked about this in, in one of his like best texts that he's ever written on imperialism, the highest stage of capitalism. I highly encourage people listening to, to read this if you haven't, which is over 100 years old, but it's very relevant today. Um, yeah, so a demand to negotiate is a demand for the Russian bear and the American eagle <laughs> to negotiate a just division of Ukraine, uh, which isn't possible. And the demand, yeah, so this is why this is, is not, a, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it can seem at first glance by some people, if you don't know much about imperialism to be, oh yeah, why don't you just negotiate it out? But it's not as though like I'm negotiating with you 
over like a lunch or something. <laughs> it's not, we have powerful imperialist interests at stake here that are, that are, that are fighting each other. And that's why the conflict has erupted in the first place. So there can be no just negotiation over the spoils of war, uh, which is essentially what that is. Uh, and yeah, it's a recognition of imperialism. It's a recognition that Ukraine is going to be, be taken by the US or Russia or both or, or divided actually, uh, which is totally reactionary. So um, yeah, that's our opposition or that's our issue with this demand. Alex, you have some to add here? Yeah, yeah. This is a negotiation between gangsters. That's what it is. It's deciding whether uh, the, the Russian mob or the New York mafia are going to get domination of, over various markets and spheres of influence. And that might be a literal uh, example or, or a metaphorical example. But the, none of this benefits the working class of Ukraine, of Eastern Europe, of Russia, of the United States, of Canada, or Britain, or any other country. None of it benefits any working class person. There is no just division of the spoils because we are the spoils. We are the bargaining chips that are being thrown thrown back and forward that they're just cynically using the people of Ukraine and, and NATO wishes to have a prolonged war and doesn't care how many Ukrainian people die there because they're not willing to support Ukraine enough to win the war. They're just supporting uh, the Ukrainian regime enough so that Russia cannot come to a resolution. So there is no fair resolution here. Also, it ignores the fact, yes, of imperialism. The fact is, NATO has been advancing. And it advanced, to the credit of our pacifist friends, peacefully. It advanced into Hungary and Poland, peacefully. It advanced into the Baltic states, peacefully. Right? Uh, it's advanced all the way up to Ukraine's border, peacefully and but then russia its imperialist interests which are also reactionary let's be upfront it's a weaker imperialism than american and nato imperialism but it is a strong regional imperialism at a certain point it said its imperialist aims were threatened and set ukraine as a line in the sand that should not be crossed Ukraine crossed it. Ukraine, sorry, uh, NATO crossed it. They, yeah, this is a proxy war between NATO and Russia over Ukrainian soil. NATO crossed it. NATO said, we're not going to give you any concessions at all due to our prestige and our power, but also we're not going to commit any troops. And so conflict was inevitable. And conflict was inevitable at a certain point. Conflict could have happened when NATO moved into Hungary and Poland. Could have happened then didn't because Russia was too weak. Uh, Nate, Russia could have decided that it didn't want to have a fight over Ukraine. There would have been a fight at the next state, stage of NATO. So uh, Trotsky actually wrote a very good essay called Passivism in the Service of Imperialism. This idea of just you know sign whatever the current balance of forces are it, it ends you into a recognition of a, a deal between gangsters. You know, actually, I think the, the leader of the Quebec Greens, like, didn't he put out a statement saying... Yeah, Alex Terrell, he said Russia's demands were reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> and Russia's demands aren't reasonable. And, 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 and everyone sort of threw Everybody, their hands up and called there's him... A witch, a, there's a witch hunt for him because they're like, yes. oh my God, he's pro-Russian. Yeah. yeah. And, and actually, this, this is the... Uh, and in, in some ways, I will give... Uh, Alex Terrell is not a Russian troll. He's not a Putin spy or anything like that. Unfortunately, what he is is a left reformist that has been attracted to pacifist ideas and just say, okay, well, let's just come to a deal to stop the, the fighting. And so, but he's ended up in an unsustainable position because of it. That's the logic of this pacifist approach of negotiate. You recognize the justness of the imperialism and imperialism on both sides is totally unjust. And the conflict at certain point is totally inevitable under capitalism. So we cannot, 
Well, they will, eventually, the sides will tire each other out, and there will be a ceasefire and negotiations. That will happen. But us as socialists and revolutionaries cannot be sa- talking about this as a solution. There's an old uh, Clausewitz state statement that war is the continuation of politics by other means. But you can turn that one on its head and actually say that politics is the continuation of war by other means. If there is peace negotiations on the basis of imperialist injustice, it's merely a pause to the next war. That's all it is. So the pacifists, you know, it's like putting a numbing agent on skin cancer. Sure, you don't feel the pain for a bit, but then that numbing agent wears off and you end up in a new war. We're about ending war, big W war, not the immediate firing and immediate hostilities, because it just prepares worse wars, bigger wars, uh, more catastrophic wars. Uh, That's why you've got to take a socialist, internationalist, Marxist uh, and working class based approach. Yeah, so uh, you mentioned Alex Terrell, the Green Party of Quebec, the leader. Um, In many ways, what he said was the opposite side of the the argument from the NATO people, which is, you know, and if if you accept imperialism, Russia's demands are reasonable because they actually have all the troops on the ground. (laughs) But we don't accept imperialism, so we don't accept that. No, Russia's demands are not reasonable. Uh, it is a bear hunt, uh, basically tearing at the corpse of an animal we're, we're, of the Ukraine, basically. We're not supporting that. And we don't support NATO uh, equally in their war aims for, oh, stop it, Russia, so we continue to dominate Ukraine and privatize the economy and <laughs> and, mess, uh, uh, and screw over working class people of Ukraine and whatnot. Going back to the trade unions, that's the irony is, is that the, uh, the trade unions supporting a right-wing government that is privatizing and attacking workers yeah. And, and banning unions and you know and but at the same but that's all been erased yeah yeah exactly so you got this to the false dichotomy in war that's quite strong in a time of war that's pulled people in different directions as they look for a reasonable way to solve it in the short term this is not a reasonable way to solve this in the short term if you want to end war you have to understand where it comes from so I guess there's another thing that comes out in pacifism maybe you can move on to. The question, a lot of people say, oh, just de-escalate. And that Canada shouldn't be giving arms. That is true. Uh, but Canada should be a voice for peace, right? There's even sometimes this idea that we should demilitarize, right? Uh, who demilitarize what exactly? But uh, yeah, do you want to maybe comment on why, why, why is this thing about de-escalation? Like, why is, why is that wrong? And why, why, why can't... Can, well, why can't Canada, shouldn't Canada be a voice for peace? It seems reasonable, no? Yeah. Well, let's start with demilitarize. So everybody demilitarize across the planet? I, th- I think people have forgotten imperialism. That to try and get a, a imperialist to demilitarize, that's the whole point of imperialism. And imperialism is the logical consequence of capitalism. So calling for demilitarization has never resulted in demilitarization uh, ever. And again, the key wrong pacifist demand here is Canada must be a voice for peace. Right. Actually, I do, I do the American left call for America to be a voice for peace, or is that just so very ridiculous that nobody actually would ever let it go out of their mouths? I'd never heard uh, that. No, maybe the, the American pacifists don't. I think maybe Ron, that. maybe Ron Paul did that because he okay. was he was in favor of yeah. <laughs> taking U.S. troops out of everywhere anyway. But the Canadian soft left can get away with it because Canada is a secondary power, right? And uh, and this occasionally is balanced between other powers and so oh yes, Canada is a voice for peace. Canada is an imperialist nation. Canada is has imperialist interests. Canada is actually one of the main investors in oil and mining internationally, especially in, I think in Latin America, it's the, the and, and areas of Northern Africa is the main investor, right? Canada has imperialist economic interests and in Ukraine as well. Canada signed a free trade agreement, 
based upon privatization, I may add, uh, and the breaking of unions uh, with Ukraine. Canada is building an arms factory in Ukraine. Canada has imperialist interests, and those imperialist interests are backed up by an imperialist military. At home, the rights of the rich, of the capitalists, are supported by the police. So if you steal from Walmart, the police arrest you. If you, if workers go on strike uh, at a plant or try to unionize, the police will bust your heads. But Canada has no police internationally, but what they have is a military. And sometimes they lean on the American military and they are a junior partner. But to say that Canada must be a voice for peace while it's still capitalist, and, and there could be no other capitalism, there's no peaceful, non-imperialist capitalism. Right? Once you've got capitalism, the export onto foreign markets is a inevitable consequence. Then cap Canada, Canadian capitalism needs a military to say, okay, I've got my investment in Ukraine or Colombia or Libya or wherever. If the government there nationalizes it, expropriates it, or even taxes it, we will send our troops to support our, our foreign investment. That's it. So to, to, you know, we, we joked about it, that saying Canada should be a voice for peace is like saying that tigers should be a voice for veganism. Canadian capitalism cannot be a voice for peace, and Canada will not be a voice for peace while it has a capitalist government. It, it, we, we could be a voice for peace with a socialist government, with an anti-imperialist government, but under this government, it is utterly utopian. Yeah, exactly. So it's really uh, <laughs> uh, erasing imperialism. It's erasing the fact that imperialism is a thing. It's it's a, it's connected to capital, the capitalist system, as you explained, and then just demanding that the capitalist politicians who are beholden to the interests of Canadian capitalism stop doing that, um, <laughs> which is silly. Like, so only, yeah, as you said, with the socialist government, with, a, with the working class, only with a different class controlling society, with the working class being in control of society that has no interest <laughs> in oppressing other working class people, uh, can this situation change? So it's all connected to the socialist approach, which we'll get into uh, before we have, we have a couple other things to talk about first. So, I mean, I think that really explains the problem with the Canada must be a voice for peace uh, thing. Um, but maybe we can get into, you know, quite often a lot of these statements are people say, oh, but the United Nations, uh, you know, needs to step in. This is against the United Nations Declaration uh, on Human Rights or, or this is against international law. You hear that a lot, not just about Ukraine, but about a lot of conflicts. The mentions about the U UN, United Nations, and international law. Um, so I don't know. <laughs> Do you want to come in on why why this is also a mistaken uh, a demand to take up? I, I always thought it was very bizarre that people relying upon the United Nations to supposedly be a voice for peace and end conflict. That it just doesn't match up in logic to me. That okay, one imperialist nation is bad but all the imperialist nations is somehow good? That just doesn't make any sense to me. And the fact is that you look at the United Nations, uh, that at best, the United Nations is useless, and at worst, it's actively reactionary. That's the entire history of the United Nations. And, and, and Lenin talked about the League of Nations, which is fundamentally the same thing. He said, this is a thieves' kitchen. The early Soviet Union had nothing to do with the League of Nations, and it was only under the Stalinist degeneration that uh, the Stalinists came on board with the United Nations. And, and, and you do get uh, groups with uh, a Stalinist history, uh, although you also get the left reformists who create illusions in the United Nations. Uh, now, you could say, okay, well, the, uh, the UN General Assembly Let's rely upon the UN General Assembly because the, the, uh, you got the Security Council, so Russia, China, Britain, USA, and France all have vetoes. So on important issues, it's deadlocked. 
from the veto in terms of the present conflict. Russia has used its veto. China has abstained. And But let's rely upon the General Assembly. Well, actually, on the General Assembly, the majority vote was in support of NATO. It's not going to help you here. And But the General Assembly has also taken radically different votes. Like It's voted in support of Palestine, voted in support of Cuba against the American blockade. Does it change a thing? It changes absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. But occasionally, you know, the, the United, when the United Nations does act, it's been in, entirely reactionary. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> the thieves kitchen, it's not our body. <laughs> it's a conglomeration of capitalist nations, imperialist nations, uh, and others that would like to be imperialist, I'm sure, <laughs> or have some, some extra booty, uh, all gathering together to divide it up. And we, yeah, this is not a body that we should rely on. And international law is a funny one, too. It's really a just a piece of paper that nobody abides by. I mean, did the United States abide by that when they invaded Iraq? I mean, <laughs> international law. It's a uh, what are you what are you what are you talking about here? So yeah, this is also a, a mistaken demand that the working class in Canada and the working class internationally uh, should rely on its own uh, force, on its own organizations. Uh, to plot out an internationalist, anti-imperialist policy and build a movement that does not rely on the United Nations, that does not rely on international law, which is the law rules between thieves, basically, <laughs> and that, that does not rely on this. So maybe to finish off here, we can get into that, which connects well, actually, before to... Actually, there's a couple of oh, examples, yeah, of, of, yeah, Sorry, a couple of examples of how UN's actively reactionary, right? So... Uh, you know, on may, most major issues, they're just paralyzed. They can't do anything. And it's frankly irrelevant and is even treated as irrelevant. Like I remember you know, previous wars, every, every single statement would be talking about UN and legality. And, I, and looking at the CLC statement and QP and Unifor and, and many of the statements, they don't even mention the UN anymore. So the UN itself, pe people aren't even treating it as a frame of reference anymore. So that's kind of a, a legacy of old Stalinist baggage uh, mentioning the UN because no, nobody mentions it. Uh, but if you want some specific examples of reactionary nature of the United Nations, well, one example is the coup in Congo against Patricia uh, Lumumba, uh, who Stalinist supported. Well, there's clear evidence that UN troops in Congo facilitated that coup, 1960, you can look it up. And ongoing, there is a United Nations uh, mission in Haiti, totally reactionary. American, Canadian, Brazilian, French troops organized a coup against uh, the Aristide government in forget what year that was, um, late 90s, early 2000s, right? Um, and, and then uh, Aristide was uh, forced to flee to South Africa. And then a UN mission went in with Canadian, Brazilian troops, you know, the people who actually helped organize the coup. And so, but now they've got blue hats. So, so, you know, blue hats makes you magically better, even though it's the same militaries. And they wouldn't let Aristide back, even though he was still the most popular politician. And, and actually, whenever there's self-organization by Haitian workers and poor, the UN forces go in and break them up and, and beat them up. Actually, even worse than that, the UN forces were found com complicit in a sex trafficking ring, including children. Uh, over 114 UN troops were part of that, uh, or probably a lot more, but 114 were found to be part of that. That is United Nations, that's the reality of United Nations interventions. So at best, it's useless, and at worst, it's actively reactionary. So we should never, ever, ever rely upon the thieves' kitchen of the United Nations. 
Yeah, thanks for that. That's good examples of why the United Nations is not our friend and that should not have anything to do with the anti-war movement. We should actually be opposed to the United Nations. Um, but yeah, uh, moving on, the, you know, we were talking about how to end the war in Ukraine. Um, there's, uh, you know, we talked about how not to, <laughs> talked about the mistaken um, declarations from some of Canada's major trade unions, which essentially support NATO, um, the anti-Russian statements that essentially purport, uh, support NATO, uh, to the Durham Labor Council statement that actually contains some more anti-imperialist, uh, genuine stuff that we would support, to the sort of pacifist sentiment and the pacifist demands that have uh, really dominated the, the genuine anti-war movement as we've seen it in its sort of embryonic phase. Um, but yeah, that leads me into like, you know, we've sort of, I guess you talked about it a bit already, a bit already but we can move on to the, the final point of the internationalist uh, working class approach. This is the Marxist approach to this. Um, uh, yeah, what is, what we say, like, you know, how do you end war? Not just this current conflict, but war in general. Alex, do you want to speak to this? Yeah. War is an inevitable consequence of imperialism. You have to spell that out. That and what has ended war? A mass movement of the working class that threatens the capitalists and their state. No calls for ceasefire and negotiate a fair division amongst imperialists. No. A demand that doesn't respect the imperialist right to rule and says that the enemy is at home and for working class unity internationally. So the job of stopping the Russian military is that of the Russian working class. And the job of support stopping Canadian military is that of the Canadian working class and the Western military, that of the Western working class. That is the approach. Now this sounds incredibly difficult. So like, oh my God, we're 90% you know, uh, support war, Western war aims, and, and now we're quibbling amongst the 10% of whether we should take a, a revolutionary socialist approach or a, pa a liberal pacifist approach. Uh, are we you know, dividing up a minority? Well, we are trying to win that minority to the right ideas and methods so that we can win the majority on a method that actually works, that can actually succeed. And, and if you look at history, what ended the First World War? It was the Russian Revolution and the German Revolution of 1918, 1917 and 1918. That's what ended the First World War. You cannot stop the imperialist state from being imperialist. You can only overthrow them and replace them with a workers' government that has no interest in waging imperialist war. So that's what stopped the First World War. What stopped the Vietnam War? the massive revolutionary uprising of the American youth. So no, the youth didn't seize power, but the movement was of such a size and a breadth and even, and even extended into the American soldiers that it put revolutionary conditions on the order of the day, which made it so the imperialist government could no longer sustain the Vietnam War and had to pull back to solidify things on the home front. You, you want to end war, you need a revolutionary working class movement that puts the imperialist state afraid for losing power. And you either overthrow them or you make them afraid and then they pull the troops home. That is the only thing historically that has really ended war. Yeah, so I think that the most important thing to understand here is where war comes from. So capitalism develops uh, and, and, and once capitalism has reached a certain point of development where it has secured the home market, uh, you have the big eat the small, you have monopolies develop. And this is actually essentially a lot of people know about the Russian oligarchs, right? <laughs> the Russian oligarchs, the Russian oligarchs. And there's actually a certain point there. The Russian oligarchs want Ukraine. <laughs> They're the big, big billionaires. And, uh, but, but, the, but the fact of the matter is that's completely one-sided. Every single capitalist economy 
is dominated by a very small minority of individuals, big billionaires. So are the capitalists like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, are they just, what, they're just entrepreneurs or something? <laughs> well, they're the, they're the Western oligarchs. <laughs> and this is basically, and then therefore they, they, they want access to uh, Ukraine as well, to the market, to the, to the resources, to the labor force, whatnot, to the privatization of the Ukrainian economy. And this is really the driver of the war. There was even actually a funny thing where Elon Musk was like tweeting Putin saying, I'll play you for Ukraine. <laughs> Which I think actually shows what it's all about. It's just a ga- it's a game over over this market. Um, Although I'd really like to see Putin beat up Musk. That that okay, would be, well, uh, that, that would be something worth watching. Maybe he could. Well, they we, should, we got, you know it, it wouldn't sell Ukraine, but it would be entertaining. They probably should just fight each other and leave us out of it. Actually, <laughs> uh, they actually have a funny thing. Or in in All Quiet on the Western Front, if you read that novel about, about World War One, they do. <laughs> says, I wish they would have, the sol- one of the soldiers said, I wish they would just fight each other and leave us out of it, which, yeah, really is kind of kind of a working class approach in a way. Uh, yeah, so you have these monopolies, these giant billionaires, and they want access to markets. And that is the main driver, driving force the between uh, of imperialism. And, and really, you have to deal with this. And how do you deal with this? This economic force, right? There are what we, <laughs> NATO is... The driving force behind NATO is the Western oligarchs, the oligarchs in Canada, U.S., and, and Western Europe, and 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 they're fighting. They want Ukraine. They want the market, right? Uh, they want Eastern Europe, and they they're opposed by Russia. So how do you deal with this? Well, we can't deal with the Russian oligarchs. We can only deal with our own oligarchs. So we need, uh, you know, that's this is where the whole concept, the 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 enemy is at home, right? So this is why the statements from the unions are wrong. They're wrong. It's all anti-Russia. No, we have to oppose our own bourgeois. We have to oppose our own oligarchs, our own billionaires who are pushing this narrative because they want they want Ukraine, right? Uh, they want more markets for themselves, and the the working class has no has no side in this fight, right? <laughs> we should not be supporting Western imperialism against Russian imperialism. So yeah, the only force that can stop now, now some ask, oh, but how do you stop Russian imperialism? It's so bad. They're the one invading. Yes, they are currently the one invading Ukraine. Well, the only force that can stop Russian imperialism is the Russian working class. Uh, and as we've mentioned on previous shows, we have comrades, we have a section, the International Marxist Tendency has a section in Russia. We have comrades that have been arrested. Uh, we... Uh, and and really, it's the it's the Russian working class, and there have that has heroically put themselves on the front lines of this struggle. There's been big demonstrations. There's been thousands of people arrested. There's been people disrupting news shows with anti-war banners, which is very significant in Russia, which is very significant in Putin's Russia, which is a very repressive uh, state of affairs. So yeah, but it's only the wor- Russian working class and we should be full solidarity with them in fighting against Russian imperialism. And that's the force that can bring down Russian imperialism. And and we are we have the force in the West, our obligation is to bring down and to expose the hypocrisy of Western imperialism to fight against Western imperialism. And in that way, we can truly weaken imperialism, we can truly weaken the war drive and we can put an end to war only once and for all when you eliminate the drive behind it, which is which is imperialism, which is capitalism at a certain stage of development. So really, we need to build, you know, you're talking about the, the 10% uh, fighting over the 10%. Well, this is how a war movement develops, right? In the early days of World War One, it was all patriotism rallying behind your bourgeoisie, right? But then eventually, near the end of the war, there developed big anti-war movements in different countries. People were very upset. So, so it's, But it is important that the, the anti-war movement has the right ideas, as you mentioned. It's important that we build a genuine anti-imperialist, anti-war movement that doesn't have pacifist illusions, right? Uh, and that's connected to the fight against capitalism. Well, we've been talking for a little while here. I don't know if you have a few final words, Alex, uh, before we, uh, we finish. Well, I think we've had a fantastic discussion here. And, and we've got to understand, if we want to support Russian workers in opposing Putin, the best way to give them the confidence that they can succeed is to build the anti-war movement here, is to build an anti-imperialist, class-based, internationalist anti-war movement in Canada. And, in, and in, throughout the West. And that's what the international Marxist tendency is doing. That's what we are doing. And so what can you do? 
you can join us, right? That is how you are stopping war. That's how you're stopping war. You're stopping this war and you're stopping all wars. You're not just providing a pause to the next war. You are resolving the problem at its root. And yes, there is incredible war hysteria right now. It is a difficult argument to make. It is difficult uh, to convince people. Although the cracks are already starting to show. And, and I think people will start looking through the propaganda and saying, wait a sec, NATO created this situation. NATO totally created this situation, and we need to advance those slogans. Canada out of NATO. No sanctions, no guns to Eastern Europe. NATO troops out of Eastern Europe. End to the support of privatization. End to the support of anti-union and attacks on Russian-speaking minorities, attacks on the Communist Party is illegal in Ukraine. None of that for international worker solidarity and explaining the organic link between capitalism and imperialism and war to build an anti-capitalist, anti-war movement. That's what we need to do. And it can be done. This, we've explained it here. This is not rocket science although I'd say that rocket science can be explained also. Uh, this, this is not inexplicable. This is merely studying what is happening on we shouldn't be forced, working class people should not be forced to fight and die so various groups of oligarchs and gangsters can profit. That's what socialism is about. That's what fight back's all about. That's what the international Marxist tendencies are about. So please go to our website, Get a subscription, support us, get involved, and let's end war, let's end capitalism. You have been listening to This Week in the Canadian Revolution, where we analyze the events of the class struggle, the turbulence and polarization brought upon by the crisis of the capitalist system in order to prepare activists for the coming revolutionary events so that we can fight back and build socialism in our lifetime. You can find us at marxist.ca, and we will be doing this podcast every week, so we hope that you tune in again.